With elections just around the corner, many people are making the claim that someone else is just the worst. And it's a pretty strong claim that they make against another candidate or another person that's in a position of authority. But I don't think anyone would be able to argue against that label as the worst 2,700 years ago in ancient Jerusalem. We read in 2 Kings chapter 21 about a king named Manasseh, and he was just the worst. It lists all the evils that Manasseh had done and was doing and continued to add upon. And then it says, even after the end of the account, almost as if it's just a footnote, that Manasseh killed so many innocent people that he filled the city with blood from one end to another. Manasseh was the worst. But as we consider God's dealing with Manasseh this morning, we see something incredibly remarkable about our God, his patience. Today, we discover with Manasseh the great patience of our God in his dealings with Manasseh. Manasseh was king over Israel for longer than any other king. He ruled for 55 years. Most other kings didn't rule even half as long. And what did Manasseh do with all this time as king? He used it for evil and to bring ruin upon the land. And it's not as if Manasseh didn't have a good start to his kingdom. His father, Hezekiah, was a good king. But Manasseh was not like his father. He was just the opposite. And he worked to undo all the good that his father had done. Manasseh built high places along Israel and in the people of Judah. The high places were centers of worship outside of the temple worship. And quite often the high places would have been associated with Baal worship, occultic worship. And the worship of the various gods of Baal, although there were many different kinds, all centered around the theme of a sex cult. And in the worship of Baal, there was male and female shrine prostitution. And this act of sex that was taking place in the shrine prostitutes was supposed to appease the gods. And Manasseh did more evil as he also worshipped Asherah and set up Asherah poles. Need I even mention what the fertility cult Asherah pole looked like? And Manasseh continued to add to that evil as he did something that no other king of Jerusalem had ever done. It says he bowed down to the starry host of heaven and looked for information from the stars. And Manasseh wasn't content simply to sin on his own. What we see him doing is enticing the rest of Judah and Jerusalem to follow him into sin. During his long time as king, you can picture how he gradually brought the people onto his side and pulled them away from the Lord. Eventually, it says, Manasseh established false worship in the temple of the Lord. Manasseh should have known better. He had been given the promises given to Abraham and the people of God. He had the promises to David and he had the temple. But in the temple courtyard, he set up an altar to Baal and in the temple courts to Asherah. And he set up an altar where the people could come and they could worship and offer sacrifices to the stars and the heavenly bodies. Now in the temple, instead of worshiping the Lord, they were worshiping Baal, Asherah, and the stars. Manasseh should have known better, but his evil goes on. 
It says that Manasseh offered up his son in the fire. We read in 2 Chronicles 33 that Manasseh did this for more than one son. Now, some would say that this means the sons went through some sort of purification rite. But I see it as more than that. We don't know how many sons Manasseh did this to. Ahab had over 70 illegitimate children. Who knows how many were offered in the fire? How many of Manasseh's children were offered in the fire on the altar to the devil and the god Molech? In this practice, we have many descriptions in the ancient world how the child, the yet unborn child, would be dedicated by a vow for the promise to bring a victory in battle. And when that child, that fruit of the womb, was born, it would be placed on a basin and offered up in the fire. A grotesque and horrible practice. And the sins of Manasseh kept increasing as he harmed and killed innocent people. How did the Lord respond? It says the, the Lord sent Manasseh prophets to rebuke him, to warn him, to call him to repentance. But Manasseh did not listen. You see, what Manasseh is, is a snapshot of what we read this Sunday from Jesus speaking of the parable of the tenants. That is, God provided this vineyard, his perfect place where he could have his word cultivated and it could produce fruit. That place is the kingdom and place of Israel initially. And the people of Israel, his vineyard, had the word of God. They had the temple practices. They had the Lord and his promises. But the workers in the vineyard, that is the, the kings and the rulers of Israel, turned against God. And when God sent his messengers, the prophets, they rejected them and beat them. This is the story of Manasseh and the story of so much of God's church. Manasseh, many might argue, was the worst. Still today, God's vineyard exists as he gives us his word. His vineyard is the place where his word is found and those who bear his name. And the workers in God's vineyard are those who have authority and who teach the word. God has sent pastors and teachers. And you and I, as those who carry the word, are also workers in that vineyard in a broader sense. And there are those who are called through God's church and by God to be pastors and teachers and workers in the vineyard. What does God's vineyard look like today? Now, it would be easy for me, and I ought to, to cry the various other workers in the vineyard and the horrible things that are being done, like it was in Manasseh's time, all within even God's church. The workers have turned against the word of the Lord. And we see those who bear the name of the Lord and even within his house that bears his name set up altars to a false god. And we see those who, though they may not be bowing down to Baal and offering up their children in the fire, they are those who stand by while the blood is shed and lives of innocent babies are offered up to a god by the name of choice. A god no less detestable than Molech. Is it any less gruesome when a child's life is taken by chemical burns instead of by the fires that Molech and his sacrificers used? And is it any less detestable when people today look for knowledge and truth outside of the word of God and they may not be bowing down to the stars, but they're looking for other sources of truth outside of the word of God instead of the truth that is found there? And though they may not be practicing shrine temple prostitution, there are many who treat their bodies and their lives 
as if it's something to turn aside from the gift of God and marriage to their own devices and perversions. And it brings destruction, shame, and ruin. All this done in the name of God and in his house. Now, it'd be easy for me to decry those who do this in God's church today, and I, I should, and we ought to. But it starts by looking in the temple of your own heart, in God's vineyard that he has cultivated in your own life. Each one of us is a temple of the Holy Spirit. No, you may not be offering up and supporting the sacrifice of children. No, you may not be turning to the stars for worship. But where do you look to for truth? Where do you look to for security? Where do you turn to for comfort? How had Manasseh gotten so far off track? Wasn't it because he was looking for the fertility gods which would provide a promise of a good harvest in his land to give him blessing? Wasn't he turning also, Manasseh that is, turning to the gods of the stars and the skies for knowledge and truth, consulting demons and spirits so that he might know the certainty of the future instead of God's word? And wasn't Manasseh offering up his children in the fire so he could secure a good future and have victory in battle? Where do we look to for certainty about the future? Where do we turn to for blessing and prosperity and confidence for the day? Is it always our God? Or is there sometimes a false idol being set up in our heart, something that we put above our God? To be sure, Manasseh probably started like his father, Hezekiah, but it soon turned away from his father's desires and worship. Manasseh no longer loved the Lord, no longer listened to the Lord, no longer served the Lord, and was soon serving demons. We need to look at our own heart. You and I need to examine the, the heart that follows, like so many in this world, away from the Lord to other gods. What takes first place in your heart today? Is a vineyard being cultivated that produces fruit, or is there sometimes something else that takes priority? Well, how did God respond? For Manasseh, he told of that coming judgment, and the prophets gave him that warning that Manasseh would find God would take him into account, and God would say to him that when people hear about what would happen, the hairs on their head would stand up, the judgment would be so severe, and God would take Manasseh like one takes a plate and sips that plate upside down and wipes it clean. And God would wipe all the people of Judah and those who follow Manasseh clean off his plate. A strong judgment. And God did this. The king of Assyria came. And Manasseh had a bronze ring stuck in his nose. And Manasseh was bound and led to captivity. Can you imagine him dragged along? But how did God deal with Manasseh? Manasseh was spared. And in his misery, Manasseh called to the Lord in repentance and pleaded to God for mercy. And God, with the, the worst of all the kings of Jerusalem, responded in mercy. And Manasseh was allowed to return and Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. That's what we read in 2 Chronicles 33, the conclusion of Manasseh. God's mercy is great. God still sends his messengers to his vineyard today. 
God's mercy and long-suffering patience for Manasseh still is found in his church today as he sends messengers. And in his church, he has displayed that mercy as he sent his son, just as Jesus' parable indicated. Jesus, the perfect and holy Son of God, came to this world, this world which had so long turned to idols and turned aside from the truth. And Jesus lived that perfect life that none of us could. Jesus, the holy Son of God, the promised Christ, Christ gave his life so that pardon could be found for Manasseh and for all who turned to the Lord for mercy. And in him we find life and forgiveness. Jesus, the living King and Son of God, brings that patience to this world still today as he sends his messengers to the workers in his church and to the people of his church. And in his vineyard, he looks and he cultivates fruit. When Manasseh returned to his homeland, Manasseh tore down the high places, ripped out all the false altars, and told the people to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. How will you respond to God's mercy in Christ? With the forgiveness that he's brought you and me and the long-suffering patience he's displayed for our hearts, how do you respond? When you examine the various idols in your heart, what is God cultivating in your life as he brings you that message of forgiveness and pardon and mercy for the sinner? Knowing that God will not wipe us off the plate, but now is working in us to cultivate new life and produce fruit. Fruit which he so patiently and so long worked for to find in your life. And how will you respond when you see the people of this world? Those who treat their bodies as an object for disgrace and their own personal use and put their bodies to practices which defy the God, the God who made them. Those who turn to the horoscopes and the, the stars for truth and information and those who worship their life and their own bodies over and against the lives of others and kill innocent blood. How do you respond to them? Will you give them the same patience that God gave as God was looking for fruit in Manasseh and as God was looking for fruit in your life. With our looking here at the King Manasseh and the working of Christ and the patience of God, we discover with Manasseh and God's dealings with him the great patience of our God. Patience which he now brings to you and to his church and to all. Yes, God's patience is not something to be trifled with. Jesus' parable makes that clear. The time of his judgment is coming. Now is the time of salvation. But until then, discover with God's dealings with Manasseh his great patience and share that patience. Amen.